Welcome to your daily affirmations. Repeat after me, working with others is easier than ever. I strive for perfect collaboration. Our teamwork keeps getting better. Yeah, affirmations are great, but Monday.com can really get you the teamwork you desire. Work together easily and share files, updates, data, and just about anything you want all in one platform. Affirm yes to start. Or tap the banner to go to Monday.com. This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Good morning, good evening, good night, NBN, Entrepreneurship and Leadership. Personally, I'm fascinated by the story. Trust is an underrated weapon in the business landscape. I'm a really, really strong believer in learning by doing. What's the definition of success? He's trying to come up with an answer to the question. But go ahead, Richard. You could be right, but you're wrong. (laughs) Good morning, good evening, good night, Entrepreneurship and Leadership channel listeners on the New Books Network. I'm here with my business partner and friend, Kimon Fontakidis, and our very special guest, who's English name is Simon Stanish. Polish speakers might call him Przemek or Przemysław even, but won't we doing Look at Richard showing off his Polish accent. Thank you, Kimo. I passed the language test yesterday. No, we're all Poles on this call. Um, but uh, I've known uh, Przemek for a while. Uh, Kim, Simon, get the name right. You're already messing up right at the beginning yeah. of the podcast. Well, we're shedding listeners as this goes. So, <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been Sam for a while. But Simon's a founder of a very uh, effective sales training company and consulting company and also some non-profit activities. But why don't you introduce yourself rather than let me get it wrong? Uh, over to you in a minute or two, not too long. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, uh, my name is Simon, if you speak English. My name is Przemek, if you speak Polish. Uh, and uh, yeah, just like you mentioned, uh, well, a lot of people, who uh, referred to me as the sales guy. So I'm I'm the guy who's been doing sales for well, over 20, 20 years now. And the last 10, 11 years, I've been running a consulting firm. And whenever someone has challenges, wants to improve or just boost up their, their sales processes, sales activities, build a sales team, et cetera, they basically call me or my partners. Uh, and uh, yeah, actually, I started using these skills not only to sell and you know make money and grow businesses, but I also shifted to the other side and tried to pay it forward. And uh, I co-founded uh, an NGO, uh, which uh, actually I'm the most proud of this project from all of the projects after my kids, of course. Uh, and uh, yeah, so basically we... Uh, in RD Foundation, we connect uh, foster care kids with uh, people from IT, and we basically teach them IT, mentor them, get them ready for uh, the adult uh, life. And uh, we're actually happy enough to have over 2,000 kids in all different projects. We are running a successful educational center for Ukrainian kids that were uh, that you know had to migrate to to Poland because of the war. Uh, so that's already running for over a year now, uh, and we're still growing, and we're still growing. So so uh, right now, also on top of the consultancy activities and NGO work, work we also started consulting NGOs. So what we want to do, uh, at least starting from Poland, is we want to teach NGOs how to run their foundations as a business, how to make money to you know help more instead of just waiting for grants and donations so and we're quite successful with this as well so you know we're we're happy that that there are already few uh, ngos that started having bigger success because of our help 
And yeah, and plus, you know, of course, like almost all people from Krakow, I have a few startups on the side and, uh, you know, uh, uh, a lot of ideas that, uh, you know, probably sooner or later are going to uh, turn into action. So, yeah, I think, was that two minutes? I think that was, that was good to you. Um, I'd like to, uh, uh, I, I, was, I wasn't actually timing you, but I was I was listening and thank you. And obviously we'll share links in the show notes if, if after this you send us a few links to particularly people who are interested in your nonprofits. There might be people from other parts of the world. And, and I just said that I know you, know you well and I know that you're not one of these um, aid organizations for whom the main beneficiaries are the people running it. So um, I know that you'll do a good job with the money if anyone wants to donate. Um, I'd like to go back to, um, you spent some time in the United States, didn't you? And can you talk yeah. about the job, the job you did over there? Mm -hmm. I think I'm right in saying it was door-to-door -door sales, wasn't it? It was, it was. Actually, fun fact, because, uh, you know, this is a part where uh, everyone knows about my door-to-door -door experience. But before that, which it's, well, it's just going to take 15 seconds. Actually, I was working in Wisconsin on a buffalo farm. So I was actually helping a farmer uh, at a buffalo farm. Uh, yeah, so yeah, that was that was that was my first US experience. But obviously later I, I started a different job. And uh, yeah, I started going door to door. And uh, the fun part is that this experience influenced my whole future. So basically what I do now is based on uh, that experience of that work, I was working there for five years, uh, but the company I worked for at that moment when I was working, it was already 150 something years old. So this is the oldest direct selling company in the United States. It's called Southwestern, yeah, Southwestern Advantage. Um, yep. What were you selling and where were you selling? Uh, well, uh, I was I was selling educational products, so books, CDs. At that time, uh, in my in the end of my career, I was also selling some uh, platform subscriptions for online education. Uh, but basically, it was materials to help uh, kids or teenagers prepare for school, do their homework better, prepare for college, for tests, SATs, ACTs, et cetera. Uh, actually, I was selling all across Midwest and in the South. So my first year I was working in Ohio, then I was working in Indiana, then I moved to Texas and uh, did a little bit of Arkansas. Uh, then I went to Georgia. And my last year I was between uh, Georgia and Florida. So I did see. So I'm really, I'm kind of curious, how does it work? Like, did you get, so you get a list, I guess, like how does the prospecting work? I mean, it's like super hardcore. <laughs> so yeah, it, like, the, the thing is that. I mean, at least you need to know that there were neighborhoods where there were kids. I mean, some basic stuff like yeah. Well, basically, uh, like you weren't going to the like the old age homes. You were going to like well, places that, where that kinda, the kids were. I guess that was kind of the challenge. That uh, no, there was no list because you know lists you know can give me bad data or you know i can make mistakes etc so basically i was just uh, assigned to a certain area so you know my first year uh, my manager eric who actually richard knows uh, who's a good friend of mine and right now we're actually he's a partner of the consulting firm so we co-founded that business together um he literally just assigned me to this little town called new philadelphia ohio and that was kind of it. I got some training beforehand. Uh, and basically, the the why I'm saying this was hardcore, because it actually was. It was supposed to be the hardest school ever, but it was supposed to prepare me for the real life. So so at, uh, basically, I just had neighborhoods, and I had to go door to door and figure out by asking good questions which families have kids. And I had to do it in a way that they wouldn't call the police. Uh, after I ask, hey, do the neighbors have kids? When are gonna? When are they gonna be home? Etc. Uh, but uh, but this is not the full challenge because the whole thing was that imagine, you know, you let's say you start uh, work like that. I used to show up at someone's door, and I would knock, right? And they didn't know I'm coming. They didn't know anything about me, and of course, I didn't know a lot about them. But whenever they opened the door, I usually had fifteen to twenty seconds to build enough trust with my Polish uh, English and my Polish front end that, you know, so, so they would let me inside for a presentation, which normally would take like 20 minutes or 15 minutes. So, you know, of course, sometimes they did, sometimes they didn't, but for the people that did let me inside, 
uh, we had a conversation about their kids, about the education system, educational system, about their homework, etc. But then I would, of course, show them the books that I had, which weren't cheap. Like those books back in 2005, when I was selling them, they were between $500 to $2,000 per set. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, right? And basically, even if they decided to buy them, I didn't have the books with me because they were like, you know, big encyclopedia types of books. So they had to, I had to write down the order. I had to take at least half of the money as a down payment. And they had to wait even up to three months to get my books. Talking about trust. That's crazy. Right? right? Yeah. And, that, and, and, the cherry, and the cherry on top is that right now, um, when I'm talking to salespeople, a lot of times they're like, yeah, but it's so hard to get like one or two prospects a day and have a conversation. My KPI back then was 30 physical presentations every single day, right? So I had to do this 30 times, but it was on purpose because when, when you're a salesperson, it's basically quantity before quality. You're not going to be best at sales first. You have to go through a lot of processes. You have to go through a lot of those cycles, and then you find out where you're good or bad, but you also learn how to ask questions. You, 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 know, you learn how to properly you know work with your body language what type of uh, eye contact you want to have the tone of voice etc and the cool thing about this is that basically my journey after even a couple weeks of working there like my learning curve was so like going so how to call it uh yeah, fast yes yeah, steep uh because Normally, when you're uh, a regular person, you in your lifetime, you meet about, I think, like eight to 10,000 people in your lifespan. I usually met 5,000 people just in the selling season, which was the summertime. So over my five years over there, I did over probably 20,000 uh, sales calls, which is quite a lot, right? And basically through this, I learned how to ask questions, how to uh, get the needs out, how to cover objections, how to behave whenever someone gives me an objection. Uh, and the funny part is that whenever I came back to Poland after that experience, I just, you know, moved it to B2B. I, 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 ha I have a, a back, uh, I have I, a background in IT. I have a master's in IT. So I was like, okay, well, let me open a, a digital agency. And I did. And within a couple months, I was already sitting at you know big desks with companies like the Polish Railway, Capgemini, KLM Airlines, etc. And we were signing deals with them. And I didn't even know what I'm doing because I had no experience with, with working uh, in, a, in a digital agency. But it worked because it was the same principles and it was the same rules. And this is what I do today. Like basically later I found out that sales is simple, but it's not easy. It's simple because it's just repetitive actions that you do have to do in a certain order and you have to tailor this to the group that you're talking to. And this is what I did for my company that uh, later I did it for my one of my startups and it clicked and re really fast. I started helping other startups and later companies uh, doing the same. And today I'm, you know, again, happy to say I already worked with General Electric, uh, Deutsche Telekom, T-Mobile. I'm actually even at, at their office today. Uh, I'm uh, I'm uh, responsible for the first B2B strategy for Bolt for Europe and Africa, etc. So a lot of those companies have those strategies because I went door to door 15 years ago or 20 years ago. So how much did you get for selling one back then? One uh, about 40 percent. So okay, if I yeah, had, that's what I thought. If I had, if yeah. I had like, but that was like a summer job. And that was like a summer job. Like yeah. that was a good summer job. And it's still the, the the program is still running. So there's still people that are flying there. Uh, and uh, that right now, like I was one of the few people back then uh, from Poland. Right now, Poland has I think over a hundred uh, dealers that are flying there. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm happy because I know in a few years uh, I'll be uh, recruiting from that pool to you know extend some of my businesses <laughs> because i know the so, quality of those people and yeah i've done a lot of sales i actually did door-to-door -door sales as well okay. i didn't have to get in i sold t-shirts at so it was like i just had to show them i didn't have to go into okay them. i didn't have to go as far as you right because look i have a cool t-shirt you want to buy it? um <laughs> and uh but you know I, I know how hard it is and i i totally agree with you that um that is the ultimate form of Sell, selling in the ultimate form of sales training. I mean, it's like it doesn't get any harder than than you have. You've just seen somebody for the first time. Like, I just want to change to buy something. 
Chip, so, yeah, my, my son's in Sydney, Australia, and he was, I was thinking, of, in fact, one of the reasons I thought of you was because he was selling solar panels and batteries door-to-door -door in the suburbs of Sydney, and uh, he, he, his, he needed money. He was also working in a startup, and when he started in the startup, he found cold calling on the phone really stressful because they had to sort of 10 calls before 10 a.m. You said, like, after that summer job doing door-to-door -door sales, you know, the cold calling on the phone was so easy. No one was yelling yeah. at you. No one was saying they're going to call the cops. Yeah, exactly. So, but, but if you, um, we can go into the uh, details of the business, but why did you choose to do that? Because you said you had a master's. Did you do your, you had a high, high quality degree and then you went well, and sold, sold yeah, actually, books door-to-door? -to -door? I decided to do this job when I just started my first year in college. So I didn't even know I'm going to finish my studies. I didn't know what college is. Like literally, I just, I was right after high school and I met Eric, I think like, I don't know, end of, end of uh, the first semester. So, so, but uh, the journey to that was, uh, well, also interesting because before that, um, I already had a company that I was running, but I wasn't super successful with it. So that was my motivator that I wanted to learn how to sell. And Eric didn't know that at that time when he was recruiting me, uh, or actually he learned over time. But basically, um, back when I was, I think I was 17, my uncle, who is a really successful entrepreneur from, uh, he lives in US, uh, he was running already a couple of companies in US and he opened a company in Poland. Uh, but basically in US, he was selling surveillance cameras that could be operated over internet. But that was in 2001, which, you know, right, right now it sounds really like, oh, yeah, what you know, what's new about that? But that was the time when not everyone even had access to internet. And, and uh, yeah, since uh, we were really close, uh, he just asked me, you know, a few times, hey, do you want to go and help out uh, installing these here or there? And I did. And I really liked it because I did have this I did have this passion for IT and technology. And actually, he was also one of the motivators for me to go to the IT field. Uh, so, uh, yeah, at one point, I just asked him, like, hey, you know, since you're selling this, but you're in your S and your only distributor is in Warsaw. I'm from South of Poland, you know, what if I'm, I would be your distributor, you know, and after he stopped laughing, he was like, sure, why not? I was 17 at that time, or maybe 16. And he was like, yeah, I'm going to send you like, you know, half a pallet of uh, cameras. Cause I you know, already have them. I ordered them from China and you know, if you sell something, then you can pay me for them. And I was like, Ooh, cool. I'm going to be a millionaire before I'm 18. But obviously, you know, the reality hit me and whenever I started calling on people, they, they weren't interested. And I thought it's just going to be like with the T-shirts, uh, you know, you mentioned, you know, like, hey, I have cameras that, you know, you can open your phone and you can see whatever is happening in your store, etc. And, you know, entrepreneurs that had five, ten stores, which, you know, I had access to them, I had a, could, could have a conversation with them. They weren't interested in installing these uh, these cameras. And then other people that didn't even have a business, they were buying from me. And I was like, okay, this doesn't make sense. These people, you know, they're not thinking logically. Like, why are they buying? What's what's going on here? And uh, and actually, since, you know, I, I started thinking about it, I thought maybe, you know, there's a place where someone can teach me how to sell or at least understand sales. And I first signed up to be um, an insurance salesperson. But I didn't have a good experience there and didn't get the knowledge that I wanted. Uh, and luckily enough, uh, luckily enough, uh, after a few months, uh, I quit that job. I met Eric and, you know, he sold me the idea of going to US and learning how to sell. Uh, so, yeah, that was kind of my my journey. And I actually just planned to go for one year, but it extended to five years. Let's talk. I think we should talk a little bit about sales since you're a sales expert. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, and so, like I started to say, um, so I did. So I did the door-to-door -door stuff, but then you know, I ended up uh, setting up companies, and I ended up getting quite personally quite involved in sales. And I've just sort of like I've been. In, and I'm, I'm not like working actively now, but like let's say thirty years of it, I went through it, and 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 I, and I just observed how it changed, how everything. Now, I, of course, I was just focusing on B two B as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think it's important to mention that. But in terms of just B2B sales, and this is even, I'm surprised, Richard, that you mentioned that Daniel, your son, because I guess he's young and he was recently doing 
10 cold calls before 10 a.m. or whatever it was. I just find that doesn't work anymore and that we've hit a different, that we're in a, the times have changed um, in terms of, as well as email, it's not only cold calls as well as email. There's the, the sales is changing and, um, I'm just wondering. So I'm like, it sounds like you don't agree. It sounds like you think yeah. so, the same thing. You just got to work hard. And, and, um, and yeah, I actually don't, it, it depends. Maybe it depends what you're selling, what, what the <laughs> price of the ticket, uh, uh, the price of the item that you're selling is, uh, I mean, we're, 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 we're doing enterprise sales, um, which is, you know, you're selling things, 50, hundred thousand, 200,000 million. Um, yeah. so you're not selling small stuff. Um, and, the, at a time when that stuff used to work in the past, I do not think it works today in okay. the in our space. And so I'm just curious if you've seen a transition because there's a lot there's there's a lot of there's more modern ways to sell. There's other ways to there's other well, techniques you can use. And I'm just curious how well, you see this transition. Yeah. So what I would what I would uh, how I would challenge this because uh, of course you know in it doesn't work in the same form. Uh, because nothing does, right? Like, you know, everything changes, you know, the way we use our smartphones, the way we use our computers. And it's the same, like regular cold calls, especially product cold calls, you're not even allowed to do that in Europe. There's something called e-privacy. You cannot call up someone saying, hey, I want to sell you this, right? Uh, so so it's illegal to sell something uh, before someone consents that, hey, I want to have an offer from you. But if you put a different packaging on, well, uh, who do I need to talk to about that? Because they keep calling me on my cell phone without uh, <laughs> unsolicited calls. Well, I, just <laughs> just ask how did you get my contact, or who is the admin uh, of this of this data, or the data, you, who's my data? Who's my data? Who's your data admin? Who's yeah, your personal yeah. data? But but actually, there is a GDPR. I need to know who your GDPR. Are you GDPR compliant? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, or usually what I say is, oh, I don't agree with the uh, recording of this call. I don't agree to record this call whenever they start. And they're like, oh, but, but, and I'm like, no, I don't agree. And most of the calls. Yeah, I just calls, hang up. I don't have an issue yeah. with how to get rid of them. I just hang up on them. But, but I, but I'm, I'm more interested in like the, they're doing yeah. it. I mean, it's not like, I don't think it's like, it's not I like think, it's gone. Well, it's not like gone. You know what I mean? It's not like gone. Yeah. Well, also depends where you, where you live, right? Because if you live in Germany, they're definitely not calling you because the penalties for, for an unsolicited call can go up to like 20, 30,000 euros or an email. Uh, but when you live in like the green, States like Poland, UK. Uh, I think you're in Portugal, right? Uh, like I'm in Poland. I'm in Poland. I'm you're in Poland. Poland. Yeah. So Poland yeah. is still kind of green. So you can literally tell them, okay, how do you get my? How did you get my data? Who's the admin? And uh, yeah, how did you get it? I need proof right now. When did I give you my consent to call me? Because they're not allowed to do this uh, unless, unless it's a B two B call. And they have a privacy policy where they actually state what is their business purpose. And they have to put this in the privacy policy before they call you. They have to give you access to this privacy policy and they have to have a public source of your contact. So either your phone number needs to be on the website, your email needs to be somewhere online, then they can call you, but you can tell them, oh, unsubscribe. That's it. And, and that's that's it. But then that's the only time it's legal to do it. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So actually, it does help in a lot of uh, situations because if someone is like, "Oh, okay, did I consent to this?" I'm like, "Oh, no, no. This is a B2B call, and then, you know, I'm calling because of this and this and this, and it's on my, you know, in in the privacy policy which I sent to you last week in my first email. Uh, so you know, if you want to share it with your, uh, you know, oh, I can't imagine the conversation goes well after you say that. <laughs> A lot of times it does, but it's really rare that people really ask this. Usually they're like, I'm yeah. not interested. I don't have time, but yeah, yeah. yeah maybe reminding. So, so, so uh, I, I actually still, I, I don't only believe I see that email, uh, LinkedIn campaigns, uh, especially cold calling, it does work, but it has to be in a certain sequence and a certain packaging. So if I, let's say, you know, I do sell those services, which are, or 100, 500,000 euros and more, of course, I'm not going to sell over an email. So my email cannot even state that, hey, I'm selling these services. It should be something different, right? So so normally, uh, I don't know how 
you know, how deep you want me to go into this and how to, you know. Uh... I, I mean, the general question was, how have you seen how sales has changed? Because I observed how sales uh -huh. has changed over the years. Is really what I was getting at is that I well, used to sell door to door. We yeah. used to do a lot of cold calling. We used to do a lot of spamming and stuff like that. And it just, it's not even about is it ethical or it just doesn't like from my perspective, yeah. it just doesn't work as well as it used to. And that, well, that's why I was just sort of wondering. That, that's know, the thing, like your take on. Yeah. So so uh, yeah. Of course, it doesn't work in the you know above the line approach so if you go going to everyone with the same message with the same offer it's never going to work but if you tailor it so let's say right now we're you know we're selling an hr solution uh, right so i know that an hr solution won't click with the cto or won't click with uh, the sales director in a company because it's not their department so first of all i need to build my target list wise and I have to know what is the packaging for uh, for this group. So if I'm approaching a recruiter, he has different types of pains and different consequences of not, for example, delivering his KPI, not delivering his uh, his uh, tasks. Whereas if I'm talking with the sales, uh, with the HR director, uh, well, his situation is different because, uh, of course, it's not only about the tasks from his team, but also about the communication with the uh, with the board of directors, with investors, which sometimes they do have access to, right? So, so if, for example, I'm talking to someone and I'm communicating, hey, we have this great HR tool, would you want to use it? Of course, it won't click. But if I approach HR, an HR director, let's say of a A or B round startup, and I'm saying, hey, uh, I'm actually talking with all the HR directors of uh, successful startups, just like bold and this and this company so i'm already throwing some names just to build the trust and then i communicate yeah, actually what we're helping is basically accelerating this process so you can deliver more uh more data or better results to your board and get ready for the next uh investment round and this is and this is what i wanted to have a chat about for like 15 20 minutes uh, um or maybe on, on like a meeting uh or conference at a conference or somewhere else so of course i i need to craft it in a good way but for example if i'm flying to a conference oh i have usually when i go there my full calendar is booked why because i send emails and i have a team that does cold calling uh like three weeks prior to the um, uh event and they set up those meetings with those selected personas. And of course, for those different groups, I have different messaging. And yeah, even like last time uh, I had a campaign, I think it was in June, I had 30% conversion from cold emails to a meeting. So yeah, or 29. Okay, it wasn't it wasn't that high. It was 29, not 30. Uh, but usually when I share this with marketers, they're like, what? No, you've got to be joking. But of course, the group wasn't 5,000 people. It was... 200 people or 100 people i did have 30 meetings out of this but you know even if it was 20 people and i had 30 percent conversion it's still quite a lot right or even if i had five percent conversion that's pretty decent right so so usually if if we're thinking about uh email campaigns uh linkedin campaigns or cold calling uh even for like one type of group we prepare for like two months so we look at the profiles, we do research, especially if it's like big accounts. A lot of times we spend time on researching what are these companies doing? What's, uh, you know, what are the news on the, um, you know, on the market about them? Does the board communicate if they're publicly traded? Does the board communicate any new changes that are going to come in the next quarter, et cetera? We try to embed this into the messaging and that's the thing that it works, that works, that makes it work. Yeah, so it did change, uh, but uh, you know it changed only that we need need to use the data and the technology that is available for us. So you know normally I just tell people, hey, start from emails because you can find the email to almost anyone and through legal sources because there are different sources to find them. And then you can automate that. So you can just build different buckets of uh, personas, have a really nice tailored um, content but just for this category, because an HR director for a B-round startup, doesn't matter if he's in Germany or Poland or France, statistically is going to have same challenges. It's different if we're talking about HR director for a corporation, only different persona, different messaging, different bucket. So, yeah. Okay. I think that's... <laughs> Did I change your... Uh... 
change your mind about uh, campaigns? No. No, no, no. I've been doing it for a long time. I have a different view, but I don't think okay. it doesn't really matter. Yeah, it yeah. doesn't really matter. I was just curious. Uh, I, I was just curious. I think we've moved. I don't know about you, but I'm very busy and I don't have a lot of time to cook. That's why I subscribe to Factor. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef crafted, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. These are two minute meals. Factor meals are ready to eat in heat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed. They're flexible for your schedule. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math, and this is important. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash nbn50 and use code nbn50 to get 50% off. That's code nbn50 at factormeals.com slash nbn50 to get 50 percent off definitely a way yeah, yeah. Well, campaigns actually long to story short, it does work, but it just depends how you yeah how you plan it how you manage it and i mean i, mean, I, I but i don't think it's a one-size-fits-all i do agree with you there i really do think like like we like have like 100 people in the world that we can sell to like it's like something like that so it's like a very small so it's yeah. like how do you get to a, a specifically 100 people it's not it's just not that. Uh, it's, it's a little bit different. It's a little bit. You can't use email, email for, for stuff like that. I'm sorry, Simon, you've been firing a few stats. I'm quite interested just because some of our listeners probably don't know this. How much do you reckon you could, you've you spent on qualifying, uh, identifying a lead and then qualifying them? You talked about doing all this research. Like, How much do, you, do I spend time? Money. No, no, no. Converted to euros or dollars. Like, you know, especially you're selling a high margin sure. product, product, I don't know, jet engines or something really expensive. Yeah. Um, well, how much, what's the most you've, you've ever spent, like, for each lead, the quality lead? Well, it, it depends. It depends. How do you approach it? Because, of course, if you're doing this account based sales and you say you have 100 or 200 accounts that you can uh, approach, of course, you have to spend a lot, uh, and you know the the bleed acquisition cost is super high. Sometimes it can be anything from like ten. Yeah, it's just you know, different. 100. I mean, it's just yeah, different. So, different so, just a different model. I mean, really. yeah, yeah. So, so, so in this case, you know, I would spend a lot, and and uh, we do that. Like, you know, I had clients when we were preparing for you know approaching five companies from Fortune five hundred because they were the only ones that match. Uh, and we did spend a lot of time. We hired extra people for research. We did, uh, you know, like uh, social media analysis of their posts or the company um, materials. And then we approached them, right? But but for, for example, if you're selling a SaaS product or your ticket is like a thousand euros or five thousand euros, well, then I would spend more on research for the persona or the vertical because you know it. Like you won't even find that much information about a company that it's hundred people, right? But then you have a lot of those companies that would buy this five, ten thousand euro product or service. Right. So yeah, it's all about because I always say this, like you can sell anything, but it's not worth to sell it. Like you have to figure out when does it, you know, click and does it pay out. Right? What made you decide to um go as the sales guy, you called yourself at the beginning. Yeah. What made you to, to you've chosen the consulting route or what? Yeah. Like the help, the training or consulting. It's probably training as well, yeah. training and consulting, helping basically companies sell better. Yeah. Did you not think just to like I don't know? You said you have you work or you owned or had other companies as well. Did you just yeah. not want to focus on let's say building a world class? sales organization and running a world-class sales organization for something that you have, or I'm just, I'm always curious how somebody chooses yeah. to, to choose well, the consulting versus actually d doing basically. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. And of course, I don't know if you wanted a short version or longer version. I, don't know. I think the short version would be better. <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, if you have to sell something, you have to also focus on the product, the quality of product and delivery. So when I had a digital agency, I could sell a lot. And me and my partner, who also sold books door to door, uh, a French guy, he also uh, was able to sell a lot. 
but then the company struggled struggled at delivery because even if we sold uh you know like let's say a web ser uh, service or some sort of a you know development uh pro project sometimes we weren't able to deliver it and you know me as a seller but you were too good the problem is you were too good at selling yeah you sold the business sold problem and that's a lot of times that that's the case and basically oh my god what a great problem myself. man i need to get into yeah. businesses where i sell too much that's like that's like for me the sweet spot like i need to find yeah, a business I where I, well, can't, I sell too much that i can't produce it's, it's like awesome but yeah but what you is you have unhappy clients right that was yeah cool. exactly because i had to spend my time later not on selling but kind of you know putting down fires and i you know there were some cases i had to pay penalties for not delivered projects for, right you know right so so, so it wasn't it wasn't really good and i was happy enough that at that time already i was running my consulting firm and i found myself in a situation where i had three or four startups i had a digital agency and the consulting firm and in the end the only place where i was making profit was the consulting firm and i was actually paying my employees in other companies from that source uh, so, so I actually, I did it for fun because it was really good at first, like basically the first time I did it, uh, was, you know, it was a good motivator because I was asked by, uh, the local office of Google to run a program with them to create, uh, training for some startups that they had. Uh, and you know, you don't say no to Google. Right. So I said, sure. Yeah, of course I'm going to do this. And yeah, we're. We're going to create a consulting firm and yeah we're going to do that then since uh you know we probably did a good job doing this and the next clients were actually t-mobile and some other big names it was just fun it was just cool to work with those people i loved talking about sales i really loved uh, teaching especially startups like a lot of tech guys that wanted to learn how to sell and me having a tech background i was able to speak their language and translate whatever they understand into the, you know, the regular Polish slash English and tell them, hey, this is how you should communicate. This is how you do that. And it started clicking. Uh, but over time, I just found myself in a situation where, you know, I wasn't really happy with the startups, with uh, especially with the agency, because, you know, that was the problem. I either had to focus on the team, on the product, our CTO, I think it was like a year early, a year before that. Uh, he just received a really good offer from um, a Swedish company, which he couldn't refuse. Plus, you know, he just had a second child coming, etc. So we were like, okay, well, you know, he left and we were left without a CTO. Uh, so, you know, that's another big challenge that uh, it might have. And at that point, I was like, okay, well, I think it's just going to be easier to focus on this. To focus uh, on the consulting piece, yeah. Yeah, especially since I was starting my family. So I was just getting married. We were thinking about kids and, you know, like. Ah, uh, the safe, and, the safe choice. Yes. The safe, that's exactly, that makes sense. Exactly. Stable, stable, but, stable revenue. Or yeah. Stable but, revenue. but, but what, what happened is I actually did, I, I'm happy I did this because that was one of the reasons later I uh, helped uh, co-founding this uh, NGO uh, because at first, of course, I was focusing fully on the consulting firm, but after some time I found myself in a situation where I actually was able to raise the prices and I didn't have to get more clients to, to be happy with what I earn. Uh, so I had extra free time, which for at first I was spending with, you know, with uh, my family, with my daughter who was just born. But whenever she turned one and uh, she started daycare, I just had this, you know, free time during my day, which, you know, I didn't know how to, how to use. And I didn't feel I wanted to open another startup or another company because, you know, I already went that path. Uh, took that path and and then you know a friend of mine approached me and asked if I can consult her on uh, building her NGO and sooner or later. Okay, this is awesome. You you've naturally because I was I was actually very interested and eager to ask you about this. So you've naturally transitioned to the NGO. Maybe you just can tell us about that now because it's that that's a, yeah, that sounds yeah. a very interesting project. So so yeah, the situation was that uh, since you know I was happy and quite successful with consulting. Uh, whenever my daughter was born, I first I took I think three or four months off from work, uh, just because I wanted to focus on my family. And then I started coming back uh, for like a couple hours every day. Uh, but then I figured that because of having really good processes, having the prospecting uh, uh, sequence and processes in place, I was able to get clients. I was able to deliver a lot of uh, the services in less time. So I actually, I was able to have, you know, half of my day free, uh, which, you know, of course, at first it was 
cool. But later, you know, I was just bored. I was like, okay, I have to figure something out, what to do. Um, and uh, a friend of mine who I knew already for a couple of years, uh, who was running a couple of foundations for someone. So she wasn't the founder. She was the, the head of the foundation. Uh, she came up to me and she was like, hey, I want to start a foundation, but I don't want to make this mistake of starting an NGO that is funded that is funded from grants or just random donations. Why? Because if you start helping, you know, it's good to have constant help. So especially, for example, if you're working with groups like foster care kids, disabled kids, it's not like, hey, sorry, we ran out of money. Uh, we hope you're going to be OK next month. Uh, you cannot do this, right? Because, you know, it takes a lot of time and effort to build trust with those groups. So even though she already had concepts how to run these programs, how to get, for example, the kids excited about IT and, and mentorship, she knew that sooner or later she will have problems with finances. And and basically she approached me to get consultancy. And I was like, okay, I'm, you know, I cannot take money from you because first of all, this is an NGO, so you're doing a good thing. So I just started consulting her for free. And out of a sudden, she was like, hey, you know, you're spending so much time with us and you're actually, you know, taking part in all of the big decisions, even though, you know, there's a different board of uh, directors, et cetera. Would you want to be on the board? I'm like, oh, okay, sure. Why not? And, and you know, so it was kind of, kind of natural thing where I joined, but I was already fully integrated with the team, with the concept, with the idea. And basically all I did is I just transferred the knowledge I had from sales and I, I, I've built sales processes and, and basically sales models with them where okay, instead of- you, just, I'm so curious, this is yeah, interesting for me. Yeah. I would like to understand, So, but, but maybe let's just take a step back and you can explain for yeah. NGO, what's the difference? I'm totally naive. What yeah. you, you use the word NGO? First of all, that count, that's non-government organization. Yeah. What an NGO yeah. stands for? Okay. Yeah, it's a foundation. What's what's the difference between? Okay, it's a foundation. So it's yeah. I'm trying to understand the difference between the foundation, NGO, whatever, and the non. I think it's the same. I think it's, it's the same. It's, it's all the same. It's all the same. It's the same. So it's you same. work. Okay, so so it's basically so basically the the managers or the uh, the directors they get some kind of a salary, I assume, but they're yeah. they're, they're they're getting. But they're generating obviously this value for the community or for the uh, for, well, for 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 the, the people in need. Yeah. And this is the first. This is the first problem. So a lot of founders, a lot of uh, managers, or people in NGOs and foundations, they're not getting paid. Why? Because they know that with the budgets they have, they won't wouldn't be able to. Help others do what they want to do. Okay. Exactly. Right. So, so, uh, so this is the the big chunk of the problem because if I'm not getting paid and you know I still have to live, I have a family, I have a life. Yeah. You know, I exactly. want to run. So well, point, no, if you want to have like the best people, you have to pay them. And you exactly. Can't. Exactly. So at some no way. Yeah. So at some point, I'm at a stage where I'm okay. I want to do this. I you know with all my heart, I want to be involved, but I have to pay my bills. Yeah. So I'm investing less time in this project. So this is the first yeah. challenge. And and these are the challenges of all the volunteer-based NGOs. Right. Like we have a right. lot of people with great hearts, but of course, their time is limited. So what sure. the, fir the first thing we decided that, okay, we're going to have volunteers, but after some time, like let's say, you know, half a year or a year of involvement, especially if they prove themselves, once we start giving them responsibility, we give them money. Yeah. Now the big question mark is okay. How do we get the money, right? Right. And, and that's what I'm really eager to hear. <laughs> yeah. And it's, and it's and basically again all about packaging your product because you have to think about the different groups. Even looking at our uh, organization, right? If if you would look at this from the B two C perspective, what we're doing is we're taking volunteers from big corporations like UBS Bank, Cisco, ABB, uh, and basically this these professionals, they run workshops for the kids that we get, you know, to a certain place, like either to their offices or to online, et cetera. And it, it looks pretty easy, right? But in reality, on one side, you have to build really big trust with all those different foster homes, how we call them in Poland, right? Or other foundations that have connections with these groups, because you cannot just come up to a place like this and say, hey, can I have four of your kids and we want to teach them IT? It doesn't work this way, right? So you have to build rapport. You have to have uh, psychologists that work with uh, 
the teachers there and later work with the kids to even get them prepared for this. So this is one part where you already have to put money, right? Then the other side is that you have to get those professionals who are usually working in IT or other departments. And, you know, even let's say, let's assume they're not these typical IT programmer who cannot present, who cannot communicate or has, has challenges with this, because of course there are these kind of images uh, which, I, of course, I hope I'm not offending anyone, but, you know, this is the typical image, right? Like this IT person, he doesn't want to even do public speaking. And so here you have to take those people and prepare them, not just for a regular presentation, for a really challenging presentation with a challenging group. So that's another part where you have to put money on, right? And and basically, this is what uh, we do is we facilitate like these both groups, try to link them. And of course, overall, there's a lot of good that we're giving because those kids, they're getting prepared for the life. They're getting excited about IT. They're starting to learn uh, different technologies, frameworks, et cetera. And whenever they're like in middle school or high school, they're getting really excited about this. And later they decide to go to college. But if you go to a corporation and tell them, hey, can we do a, you know the CSR project? Do you want to help the kids? Usually they're like, yeah, yeah, we want to do that. Of course, uh, you can, you know, you can do. So it's the, so it's the corporations that are paying. Yes, yes, but I, I, I want to. You want to explain like the whole yeah. process. So normally, yeah. if you just tell a corporation, hey, can you, can you help our foundation, right? They're going to be like, okay, we have a program for foundations over there. Usually, we give like one to five thousand dollar grants, and this is cool, but. A meeting like this, if you know, or you know, a program like this for let's say three months is fifty thousand zlotys, right? So it's fifteen thousand euros, uh, right? No, oh, twelve thousand euros. Whatever, yeah, about that. Yeah, mm -hmm. for for a group of fifteen kids. So now, if we're you know thinking about two thousand kids that we have in different programs, that's a lot of money, right? And how you know we're not going to get this through those little donations, and those donations. We don't know if we're going to get them next year. We don't know how they're going to be, when they're going to be transferred. And of course, you first have to get the money to plan it out, to employ people, train people. So it's you know typical business problem. So knowing this and knowing that the average, the regular approach uh, of financing these projects won't work, because even if we've gotten like a big grant from the government, we're not certain if we're going to get it next year. We decided to change the whole packaging of this. So we started analyzing, okay, so what we're doing is we're building this volunteering program within corporations. So if we want not the employees, but maybe the corporation to finance it, we need to find different reasons why they should be involved. It shouldn't be this regular NGO path because you know there's not a lot of money there and that's, there's not a lot of value for the corporation to have another foundation on their website or, or have their logo on another foundation's uh, website. So long story short, what we did is we analyzed who we should talk to, what are their challenges, what are their uh, responsibilities in everyday life. And what we found, what we're doing right now is whenever we're communicating with the business, what we do, we don't say, hey, we're linking foster care kids with IT uh, professionals. We say we do impact employer branding. Yeah, how does this sound for you? Well, what we do at our foundation? I don't know, I'd say, I'd say what is that? Exactly. And it should basically, you know, build curiosity. And then we're starting to explain, well, you know, normally what we found is that because of COVID, because of remote work, employer branding is really, really challenging. It's really hard to even get people to the office. And, you know, with people working remote, with not, you know, joining different team activities, etc., it's hard to build loyalty. And these type of employees, a lot of times they're really, really expensive experts, it's too, super easy to lose them. It's just, you know, literally one offer from a company from Switzerland or from US or from UK is, is going to spark the need of changing the position. And for you to hire someone new for this position and train them, onboard them, is going to take a lot of time, a lot of effort, and it's going to cost a lot of money. So what we're doing is actually we're bringing to you a solution where we're actually giving these people uh, this mutual purpose, this big purpose. Uh, that's why it's called impact employer branding. And we're actually motivating them to start meeting. And basically we're teaching uh, developers, we're teaching project managers, people that are a lot of times technical, how to uh, do public speaking, how to do presentations, how to mentor other people. But what they do is they don't mentor each other. They actually mentor foster care kids. Why? Because 82% of foster care kids, whenever they turn uh, 18, 
they have problems in their adult life. Most of them don't, don't go to college. They don't uh, finish the education because they weren't motivated before because they already had a really steep road, right? They had really challenging life. So normally they didn't care for homework. They didn't have passions in you know, learning IT, learning photography, learning Scrum, et cetera. So what we're doing is actually taking this group and taking the other one and navigating all, them all together. And usually when, you know, of course, when we present this this way, the corporations are like, this is really good. You know what? Actually, this fits. So basically, so basically you're, wow, I've got the sun in my face. It, basically, you're generating um, loyalty. It's it's loyalty. Like, it's like, I want to work for this company. This company does good. Exactly. Like, yeah, you can but, give me, you can give me a, additional. You can give me a better job. You can give me more money, but you yes. can't, you can't exactly. give me what I get here, which is a good feeling that I'm doing something good and I'm helping. Exactly. And everything is managed by us. So, so basically, you know, this HR department, CSR department and the employees, they don't have to think about anything because we have the processes, we have the tools. We actually have people that talk with the foster care uh, homes. So we facilitate everything. And basically we just build it as a project. We build it as a employer branding project. So we were happy enough uh, to uh, work with UBS already for, well, I think it's already been four years. And the feedback was really, really great uh, all across Poland, not only in Krakow, but also people in Wrocław, et cetera. So, so, you know, a lot of people literally, they were uh, like uh, giving us feedback that, yeah, actually I stayed in this job just because I love it, uh, what we do, I love the programs. And uh, just last year, uh, we had, I think over 2 million Zlotys revenue from these type of projects. So, and all of oh, them- Oh, that's really impressive. Yeah, they're, all of them were financed. How many companies are there in the, pro how many companies do you have in the program? Uh, well, like, of course, some of them are bigger, like UBS is the biggest. Uh, we had Cisco last year. This year, we started working with ABB. Uh, we had a lot of mid-sized and small companies. So we had a lot of software houses, which were just, you know, investing smaller uh, amounts. But I think from like 20 to 40, 40 companies. Okay. Uh, so they're giving quite, they're donating quite a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Usually the projects are like from 30 to 300,000 lotties each, right? And then with UBS, for example, we're running three or four at the same time. So they actually okay. like it. They like us so much that, you know, they're just giving us more ideas and more ways how to bring value. So, of course, it's not only this, uh, you know, uh, uh, mentorship and, and help for the foster care kids, but there's also Future Innovators Academy where uh, their employees um, mentor kids from rural areas around Krakow. Uh, there are other, uh, well, nice, nice and uh, really helpful uh, programs that we built together. Yeah. Yes, just just really impressive. Non non Polish. Yes, it is impressive for non Polish listeners. So I think they're around four and a half Polish sorty to a dollar. So you just divide between four and five, depending. It's about four. It's about four. This the euro is about four yeah. now. But the, yeah, yeah. So 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 basically, last year was like half a million uh, dollars, right? Uh, but uh, but of course, looking at the prices, you know, if I was selling in Poland or I was selling in U.S., it would still kind of be the same. So so the prices of these type of services would still require about two million dollars in U.S. or a little bit more. Yep. And that's anyway. I think that's a really good thing. That and and it's it's I assume it's just very rewarding. And you're actually doing good. Oh, it's nice. yeah. Not only not only not only are those people not only are the people in these companies feeling good, but you yourself are feeling good about what you're doing. Oh, yeah, and that's why I said I'm I'm uh, proud of this project uh, the most because like right yeah. now we did an analysis last year and we found in a study that only four percent of NGOs in Poland have a revenue of over millions lotties. So we're actually in one, in 2% of all the foundations in Poland, which, and there's a lot of them. So, so yeah, and, and is that's why- Is there a law in Poland that you, you have to publish your finances? So what, and just, I'm sure some people are curious and say, I wonder if that smooth sales <laughs> that, guy is doing a yeah, like how, how much are the highest paid people? Because you have to pay a professional salary, but you can't you can't yeah. pay people Ferraris and things like that. So what, yeah. what sort of salaries do sort of professionals well, who work for you? We we actually have um, a, a pay policy. So so we take the median from uh, the market. 
So our our employees are paid anything from three to I think seven thousand slotties a month, which is the regular, the average or the median for this type of uh, position. So we actually have project managers, we have uh, people that are marketing managers, social media managers, photographers, etc. So uh, so yeah, it's actually basically regular market uh, salaries. Uh, and and this is what we also wanted to do. Like we wanted these people to feel happy, to feel good about what they're doing, but also be rewarded in a good way. Of course, if some of them want to uh, earn more, like some of them already have more expertise, more ideas, that's the moment we're actually we're shifting them towards. Uh, we call that uh, company that that brand Social Movers Hub, basically a consulting firm for other NGOs. So this part we actually do commercially. So if we have, for example, Alicia, who is our COO, she's been working with a lot of uh, our clients on building the volunteer program, building like all those programs, budgeting those, etc. Basically, right now, other NGOs hire her as a consultant and she built their strategies. Right now, she's getting really deep with uh, ESG because a lot of corporations will need it. A lot of companies will need it. And basically, uh, we're- I don't know what that is. Environmental, social governance. Exactly. This is a new regulation from from the EU uh, that uh, basically starts from- next year where every company will have to submit a report on their environmental social and governance impact so basically if your carbon footprint is too large you will pay a penalty penalty if you're you know not giving enough to the society to you know like you're not employing enough uh, disabled people or you know you don't have the diversity that is required you basically will have to pay penalty or you have to change your strategy and and uh, basically, if someone is will be not compliant with ESG, uh, they will be blocked in different financing uh, paths. So basically, you won't be able to get a loan for your business or to get an investment from a VC uh, unless you have like certain points or you at least submit a plan. So so that's why it's important for us as a foundation, as an NGO, to know this because, for example, through programs like this like you know okay we invest in foster care kids education we do volunteering programs etc etc this will give you extra points in uh, in these reports and basically next year only companies i think about about 500 people or 1000 people will have to submit it but starting 2026 every single company in europe in european union will have to do that so yeah. yeah, so we're getting towards the end of our allotted time, and obviously you've done some quite different things. And I was just thinking, mm-hmm. when you were a bit younger, before you started your first business, and I'm curious about your relationship with money as well, because you talked about uh-huh. you some other startups, you had your yeah. importing business that didn't really work out. When you're like younger, did you, would you be, were you definitely going to do your own thing? Were, were you sort of like hardwired for that, or was it more role models? Where did that come from? And so, mm-hmm. secondly, I think it'd be interesting for our listeners to know what sort of scale North, North Star was at in terms of I don't know, revenue or number of people when you decided to mm-hmm. step aside. Because at some level, you could afford to stop doing your for business mm-hmm. stuff and focus on nonprofit because you were doing well enough. And I just could you just come and talk to those questions? Sure, sure. So, so uh, first question is uh, basically, I. I was uh, like born into entrepreneurship, like my whole family, my dad, my mom, uh, they ran uh, businesses, but just small local businesses. And, you know, I, I used to help out uh, either in my parents' businesses, my uncle's businesses, and it was kind of just the way of life. I come from a little, little town in the Polish mountains. Uh, and like, basically, people that had the most money were people that had their own businesses, obviously. And uh, of course, you know, we weren't super rich, uh, even though, you know, we were, we, we were okay. Uh, we were, you know, happy uh, with everything. But of course, you know, I had this hunger of uh, having my own business. And that was the first step, but probably the biggest motivator was my uncle, uh, Mariusz, uh, the one that I mentioned, who uh, is uh, living in the US. And basically, I saw his journey because he uh, moved in 1986, which was still a good time, from Poland to U.S. 
So he had, you know, a similar journey to my dad who opened the business in Poland in the 90s, but he did it in the US. And he, uh, you know, whenever we were speaking, he actually said that, uh, well, next just to running the business, he started educating himself. So, you know, he f finished college in the US. He started reading a lot of business mm -hmm. books. And, and basically, I started soaking all this uh information uh yeah and at some point i was like okay i want to be like my uncle uh, or maybe even better and uh, man that was it that's why i even asked them hey can i do business with you can i be your distributor here in europe and and you know i'm super happy he invested this time uh in me because uh for example, my first uh, trade shows were, I think I was 16 or 17. He he had trade show, uh, a stand at uh, security trade shows in Poznań, which is the biggest trade show site in Poland. And he was like, hey, would you want to do like all the work there? Would you want to plan the stand? Would you want to call these companies? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I want to do that. And of course, you know, he had <laughs> cheap labor, uh, you know, for a, a family member who can do all the manual tasks, but I was super excited about it. And then I noticed when I went to the, those trade shows, because, of course, I suited up, I was one of the salespeople and I was super excited about doing this. I saw the difference when uh, he was speaking, when when I was speaking. Of course, I was still a child. But, you know, when I asked him, how do you do that? You know, how do you sell? And he was like, yeah, just be yourself and build trust. And it didn't mean anything to me at that point. Uh, of course, you know, I had no clue how to do this. And now I fully understand it. And I know, you know if you are yourself and you build trust and this trust factor is like probably like 180 different points, processes and procedures. Uh, yeah, but this is how you can uh, do that. And that was the start of my journey. And uh, yeah, the, just what scale did you get North Star to? It's still called North Star Consulting, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes, yes. It's still called North Star Consulting. Well, the the main idea is that we, me and Eric, we never wanted North Star to be a big company, to be a corporation. So we always kept it as a boutique uh, consultancy. So I think at the peak, we had offices in Poland, Slovakia, uh, and in Estonia. At a certain point, Slovakia was put on hold because our partner there, well, she started her own family and uh, yeah, she's having two kids already and uh, she's not back. Uh, but, uh, but in the meantime, we opened an office in France, but that was uh, January 2020, which wasn't a good time uh, uh, for opening a new market. So yeah, after half a year in France and COVID lockdowns, we decided to close that. But uh, yeah, I think that was the peak. Uh, we had, I think, 12 different people across all those countries. So we had a few people in Estonia, a few people in Poland, a few people in Slovakia, someone in Hungary, a few people in France, even a person in London. But the whole concept of Northstar was that you don't have to do it full time. So a lot of those people were basically entrepreneurs, just like me, who already had 10, 15, sometimes 20 years of experience. And they just wanted to share the knowledge. They wanted to help other people also, of course, make decent money out of this, but not to work full time. So we never went into having like big marketing teams, uh, big, uh, you know, junior teams who can deliver consultancy. Our thing was that, okay, you have to have at least 10, 15 years of experience if you want to consult. So, yeah, so that wasn't even the thing that we were advertising that, you know, we're big or growing fast. Yeah, because it wasn't ever, uh, you know, the, the goal. Yeah, and we still we still are active in the office in Estonia. Of course, in Poland, we have a few people which are active. But even myself, like, I'm not, as a founder and CEO, I'm not here full time. So, <laughs> so none of the other people are as well. Okay, well, I, it's been a nice story. And I think for our listeners, it's good to realize that you know, entrepreneurship does give you the chance to do different things. You do it your way, provided you're making money. Who cares yeah. if you're, you're, you're not making it huge? Is there anything, just before we wrap up, is there anything you uh -huh. ha we haven't asked that we should have asked or anything you'd like the listeners to know that you think is important that maybe you wouldn't, we, they wouldn't hear from anyone else? Well, of, of course, uh, you know, I can speak for hours about uh, sales and different activities there, but um, or, you know, running a business. But the thing that I've learned and what I'm using a lot right now is to focus on your processes early. And I know it sounds horrible, 
But basically, whenever you start writing down what you do, uh, writing down procedures, this is a way to actually stop at some point, look at whatever you're doing, look at whatever you wrote down and see if, if, if it's even the same, see whatever you can improve. Um, because the big challenge that a lot of companies have is the problem of success. So whenever you're successful, you need to start delegating a lot. And if you don't have processes, you don't write down what you're doing, it doesn't matter if it's in sales, marketing, or you know any other department, you will have to start onboarding people that you know that don't know your company, don't know the organization. You have to teach them not only the product, but your ways of working. And this creates a lot of problems because you know you won't click with those people right away. A lot of times you won't click with them at all. So you will have to fire them and basically just wasted six months. So you have to do it all over again, right? And especially with startups, like you know, you're getting funding, you're getting a million, five million euros. Not of a sudden you have to hire five people. And you don't have a clue how to even select them, right? So, so you know, this is what I'm helping with. And now I do have a little portfolio of startups where I, I'm not the key person. I don't want to be the key person. But, of course, I'm responsible for the sales strategies. So, I'm literally writing down all of the aspects for sales, outreach, conversations, presentations. And I'm handing it over to the founders or to the newly uh, recruited people. And it starts working within a couple weeks or sometimes days. Because, for example, I tested it before. And, and this is something that I would definitely uh, well, give as a tip to most of the listeners to, you know, to do it early. And, you know, if you don't like writing, just, you know, there's so many AI tools or, you know, even in Google documents, you have uh, speech to text, just start talking with each other about what you do, and then just put it in some order in that document. And that's going to help you a lot already. And it's easier for consultants like me later to give feedback because I don't have to listen to you for five hours. I can just read the document and give you tips. Fantastic. Well, we'll put in the show notes. We had a guy a few months ago called, I think, Nick Sonnenberg, who wrote a book about how to organize and here's all over processes. Uh, I'll send you a link to that as well. Thank you very much, India. I'll, I'll actually hand over to Kimon to wrap this up. And thank you very, for me, thank you very much for your time, Kimon. Thank you. thank you. Yes, I mean, that was a really interesting story. I love the fact that you went from. Uh, door-to-door -to, -door to actually you took door to basically you took door-to-door -door experience and you used it for good you used it for the ngo world and helping um you know these foster kids and uh you know get it jobs which is just like that's just like the coolest story and it's it's a feel-good story and that that's I, I, I'm impressed and congratulations on it. And thank you so much for, for taking the time to join us. And thanks for everybody for taking the time to listen to us. And uh, for everybody who produced it and made it, thank you as well. So yeah, thank you. thanks thank a you lot. for your time and thank you for inviting me. And uh, yeah, I'm happy I could share my story. And, you know, if someone would like to connect with me and you know, would like to ask me more questions, yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, you can find me online. Uh, I don't respond to messages right away. Usually it takes me three to six weeks. You just have to be patient. Uh, you, can, you can ping me and uh, yeah, I'll be happy to, to answer any questions. What a nice awesome. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks, sir. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.